0: Have to replace. Okay, well, so swinging it is what. We're doing. Uh, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, I'm uh, just so thankful for you and for your Spirit that works uh, within us through your Word. Pray, Lord, that you would uh, do that this morning. I'm, uh, I'm just especially prayerful this morning, Lord, that you would you'd be in charge of all that happens here and throughout the worship service. You want glorified, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, a little review of last time. We finished 1 Timothy 3. We kind of finished 1 Timothy 3. We'll go back to it for a second, uh, depending on how far we get. We looked at a few of the qualifications for eldership. Not pugnacious, but gentle and peaceable. Free from the love of money. Managing his own household well. Not a new convert. And having a good reputation with those outside the church. And then we actually got to Titus 1 which is where we'll be now. Finish up the qualifications of elders in Titus chapter 1. Okay. Titus 1. Uh, we got kind of got started on it. Um, if you turn to verse 6. Well, let's start with verse 5. For this reason I left you in Crete, <clears throat> that you would set in order what remains, And appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. We kind of got started with that last time, uh, for, got through the first part of verse, actually we got through verse 6 about having children who believe. And what did we kind of conclude about that? There there are two uh, kind of two ways to translate that. One version has the translation having faithful children and others have having children who believe and we talked about that word a little bit. Where do you come down on that? Does the elder have to have children who are believers? (laughs) Does an elder have to have children who are Christians, who are believers, or does it just mean faithful, it right? isn't that we we can't directly observe their spiritual condition but they have to act in a way that would lead us to believe that they are in fact believers they are in fact Christians and that's most likely what that means in the context of not being accused of dissipation or rebellion wouldn't it be rebellion for an elder's child to turn from the faith it would in fact be rebellion wouldn't it so i don't think there's an escape from this now I think this is exactly intended to refer to adult children, where it says, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. It's going to be hard to accuse a child of dissipation, right, of that sort of sinful lifestyle. So I think this is in regard to adult children. If they're small children, you kind of go back to 1 Timothy, where they have to be under control with all dignity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, and it, it, I think it, it derives from a couple of things that there is disagreement over. One is the use of that word that we talked about last time. It's often just translated trustworthy or faithful. It's not unreasonable to translate the word trustworthy or faithful here rather than children who believe or believing children. It's not unreasonable, but it doesn't seem to fit the context. Right? The other issue is for those that are, you know, have a proper perspective on divine sovereignty, sovereignty of God in election, they say, "Well, that's not fair. We have, no, I have no control over my children's salvation. That's a sovereign act of God. So how can I be held responsible for that?" And then you actually don't have the proper view of divine sovereignty in election, do you? Yes. God is sovereign in election, and yes, you are responsible for your salvation. Right? Not for your salvation, to take that back. Responsibility for your belief, right? You're responsible for that. God holds you responsible for unbelief. Right? So it's not inappropriate to think that he would hold a man responsible for his children's unbelief. There's some evidence there that the man was not a faithful steward of the gospel. He didn't necessarily share the gospel effectively with his children. There's some evidence there. Now, what if the children have this period where they seem to rebel and they they go off in dissipation or rebellion, and then they come back and they seem to be living as believers? Well, the man is then qualified. right? There's now evidence of his faithful stewardship of the gospel. Right? I think he's, uh, uh, yeah, temporarily disqualified. He hasn't managed his own household well. Um, I've never really had a strong opinion in either direction because I was never really sure how um, God spoke in that. But that makes a lot of sense because of how can you work with others bring them man the Lord if you can't even do it with your own children? Right. I think that's the idea. There's a reproach generated. Remember the dwarf, Right. Being a dwarf is not a dwarf's fault. He didn't do anything wrong that made him a dwarf, but yet he was disqualified from the priesthood because he had to be an example. It's the same thing here. The man has to be an example. And even if through no fault of his own, there is this reproach generated, it's there. Okay? Let me give you an example that might make this a little clearer. You know the idea of easy believism where you, know, you just accept Christ and he will make your life good and there's nothing required of you and all of that if some if there's an easy believism elder of a church pastor of a church and if his children grow up and are given to dissipation and rebellion don't appear to be believers that doesn't surprise me that there's evidence there that his stewardship of the gospel is not good he's not an example right that's the idea. There is something that is generated that casts doubt on that man's understanding of the gospel, his ability to effectively deliver the gospel. It sounds harsh, doesn't it? It sounds like an awfully high standard. No. It doesn't it to Thomas, good. No, because um, I, think what you're, I think you're applying his ability to deliver the gospel, and you're giving that the responsibility of God's sovereignty. If the God can't... Yeah, guy has unbelieving children, but there is a failure, I understand what you're saying, there might be a failure on his part. Um, however, he might deliver the, the message, he might read directly from the word of God to his children, and his children don't necessarily call, that disqualifies him, but that doesn't mean he failed to deliver the, the gospel message. That's right, yeah, okay. that's exactly right, yeah, that's surprisingly that's better than what I'm trying to say. It doesn't prove it. It provides evidence of it, and it would. Have, there's a reproach there generated, but it could be just the case that they're not. They're not called. I think a lot of times, or a number of times, we've talked in this class about if we don't have a right, God gives and God takes away. because the name of the Lord. Yeah. Um, yeah, eldership is not a right. It's also not a privilege. Remember, it's a calling. And it's, it's subject to the Holy Spirit, to the, to the will of God. Okay. I put on this next topic to skip it. So I'm going to basically skip it because we'll have more to say about it probably next week. But think about this for a second. If, if the scripture has something to say about a man's children, it shouldn't have something to say about a man's wife. So just think, let's leave that out in the air for a minute and move on. <laughs> the message was actually recorded last week, so I'm, I'm on a little thin ice with my own wife right now. So. Now, she hasn't heard it. I've made sure of that. Uh, okay, continuing on in Titus. Uh, children who believe, not accuse of dissipation or rebellion, now under verse 7. The overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, above reproach we've seen before, God's steward. We've actually seen before. Do you remember when we had that same idea of stewardship? On the part of the elder? You remember? Brenda doesn't remember. She's saying, "No, I do not remember." <laughs> yeah. If Connor was here, he'd remember. <laughs> it's kind of hard one. Remember back in Acts 20? Right? Shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Remember that? The church is the church of God. He purchased it with his own blood. The church does not belong to any man. All right? This man is a steward over what belongs to God and was bought at a high price. man has to remember that. Not self-willed this is the next one. This is a kind of a, an interesting uh, phrase. It's only used one other time in the Bible, in the New Testament. Turn to Second Peter two. This will help you understand the view of self-willed. Second Peter two, the only other use of this. Let's just say it's not positive. The idea of being self-willed is not good. Second Peter, chapter two, verses nine through fourteen. Says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Second Peter two, and read verses nine through fourteen. And especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority, daring, self willed. They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of these, of those creatures also be destroyed, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime, their stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, and on and on. That's the only other use of self-will. So you get the idea from that. It, self-willed is a good way to say it. it's my will. I'm not constrained by what what I do to you. I'm not constrained by what the Lord says. I'm about what it is that I want to do, and that's what I'm going to do. I think it's great that that's included in the list of qualifications for elders. If we biblically, if we recognize elders in a biblical way, it's men who rise up from the congregation. Right. That seems to be the biblical pattern here. So it would be men that we recognize and say, that man looks like he's serving the functions of an elder. If we're not careful, we can look for men who are secular leaders, right? Right? And you don't necessarily get to be a leader in the secular world by being humble, right? So it's very tempting sometimes to say, you know, that guy is, he is the president of whatever company. He might make a good leader for this church. Well, maybe he's the CEO of whatever company because he's self-willed. He's very strong and able to get his way and move things in a a direction that works for that company. But that's not the kind of man that should be an elder. Another kind of proof of the inspiration of Scripture to me, that kind of thing. If if we were writing a book on leaders, who who should you get? Hey, get somebody who's ambitious and a real go-getter. he can change people's minds and get... Well, that's not what the, what the Bible looks for. Going on, not quick-tempered. Uh, that's very similar to not quarrelsome from 1 Timothy 3. Not addicted to wine, exactly the same as First Timothy 3. Not pugnacious, also the same. Not fond of sordid gain. Uh, that's very similar to free from the love of money. This adds to the idea of sordid, which is also translated filthy. And then hospitable. Anybody remember the word? Hospitable. It's just tests. I'm just testing. Don't worry. You love strangers? Love strangers, yeah. Right? That's exactly what it means. You you get the points for today. Points aren't worth anything. But you get them. The the teams really love to get points, actually. I don't know why. They can tell you how many points they have. They have millions of points. That's exactly what it means, love of strangers. Uh, exactly the same as in First Timothy three, loving what is good. Now this is different. It's not in the the list in First Timothy three. It's clearly translated. The King James adds a word in there, which makes it kind of awkward. The uh, King James says the lover of good men. I don't know if New King James has the word men in there. That that's not not there as far as I can tell. It means the lover of what is good, someone who promotes what is good and pure. Is it in the New King James? If somebody has, it's not there. Man, it's not there. Okay, just lover of good. So uh, that's a new one, but it's the same idea. Someone who would promote what is good and pure and noble. Uh, sensible is the next one in my New American Standard. Uh, for some reason, that's it's exactly the same word that's translated prudent in First Timothy three. I don't know why New American Standard they translate it two different ways, but basically the same idea. And then just. Mine says just. Yours might say upright. This is an interesting word. very, very, very common word. It's translated proper, right, correct, upright, um, just, fair. All of those different ways, depending on the context. It's a terrific word. So the question is, to me, one question was, well, it, does it mean just righteous or upright or does it mean just? Because when I say just, I think of fair or equitable, right? So which is it here? And then I thought more about it. You know, it really doesn't matter. right? (laughs) It's got to be all of those things. I I was thinking it probably means just because, remember, these are more specific qualifications under the heading of being above reproach. Uh, Well, so this is probably more specific than upright because that's similar to above reproach. But the next word is translated devout or holy, and that's a very general term, so I can't say that for sure. Let's say it means just. Of course, an elder needs to be to be equitable among people. I don't even like to use the word fair because, as we've talked about before, that's kind of childish. But just, right? I can't. If 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 an elder hears a dispute between people, he can't have an idea that, well, you know, I like this person. I go to lunch with this person. Eh, I care for this person. They've rubbed me the wrong way. So you're right. You're wrong. They have to. They can't be partial in that way. Have to be impartial. So, just might be good there. Um, I want to keep going to the next one with that the notion of upright in mind. Go to the next one. Mine again translates as devout, and yours might translate it holy. Okay, this is really a cool word. Okay, get this one. Turn to Revelation 15:4 for a second, and then tell me how we're going to connect these up. Revelation 15:4. And I, I, this is I, I think I won't make you flip back and forth more than three more times. Revelation fifteen four says, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. That's the same word. Yeah. So how do you how do you work that out? It says, You alone are holy. But back here it says an elder has to be holy. Same word. Or devout, but it's the same word. So the Lord alone is this thing that elders must be. Therefore, logically, there are no qualified elders. So, I'll see you later. <laughs> that, huh? Exactly, right? Really, it's striving towards, it's submitted toward God. It's completely submitted to His Word. This man would be holy. Were he able to be holy, he would be holy, right. moving forward in holiness yeah, right. this is again very general, right? This is not yeah, taking on the holiness of Christ, huh. No, no. Yeah, I want to be clear on that. I'm not saying that what that we ought to take all these words to mean. Well, he wants to be all these things, but this particular word does not mean that he has achieved perfect holiness. We know that from our, We know that from the rest of Scripture. But the other one doesn't say that. that there's nothing in there that makes me think that he want, he that it's you're qualified if you want your children to be believers. So that's does that make sense? Yeah, you can't pick and choose any of these, right? These are qualifications. Okay. So the man has to be holy, not in the sense that God is holy. We know that from Scripture because then no man would be qualified. Right. This might clear this up a little bit too. I said I'd make you flip three more times. Here's one of them. First Thessalonians. And all the T's are conveniently together, so if you're in Titus, it's just a couple flips. 1 Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God. How devoutly? Same word. And uprightly, that's the same word that we talked about as just or upright. And blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Right? So Paul is making the claim that those men behaved in a holy, upright, blameless manner. But Paul's the first one to say that you know, for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. No one's holy. All right? So that's the way we have to understand this. Submitted towards holiness. Agreeing with holiness, right that's the idea Yeah, there's two words that are translated holy. The most common one that clearly refers to the holiness of God is not this one. This is a little bit different. It could mean devout in that sense of being submitted to that which is holy, committed and zealous about it, moving towards it. Very high standard. Okay? All right. Self-controlled. Uh, we kind of had that one back in First Timothy 3. And then it goes on to a kind of a description here that I want to take a second on. It says, hold, this is verse 9, Titus 1, 9. Holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, he'll so be able to both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. We talked about being able to teach. Uh, this is talking about clinging to the word so that someone may know what is, the, what is sound doctrine, be able to teach it and refute those who contradict it. Um, I don't remember. What did Obama say? People cling to guns and what? Guns and religion, I guess. This is what we're talking about. Maybe that's different. But we are to cling to... I didn't, you can't be political, so I... Cling to the... You're supposed to cling to the Word, right? That's what, that's what Scripture teaches all of us. And that's what, it, that's what it's talking about. Holding fast to, clinging to the word. Right? The word is true in everything that it says. So we cling to it. That's where we get truth. And the word sound is the word that we get the word hygiene from. It means healthy and wholesome. So it's healthy and wholesome doctrine. No, no illness, sickness in it. It's, it's right doctrine. It's good doctrine. Right? And as we talked about before, that man has to be able to teach that and has to be able to refute false teaching. Okay. So that's the list of qualifications First Timothy and in Titus. The list of qualifications for elders. Uh, we're kind of done with that. There's a couple of questions that I want to ask you about qualification. Okay, now given these lists that we've looked through and tried to understand, one of the questions that we started off with was do elders have to have a formal education in theology? Do they have to have a Seminary degree or a Bible school degree. What about that? What are the qualifications related to that to that notion? Has to be able to teach, so he's got to know something, right? Right. He needs to be one who studies the word, knows the word, right? Maybe other things help illuminate. Other qualifications are related to that. What's? Sound, doctrine. sound doctrine. has no sound doctrine. Right. What did you say, Bonnie? It wouldn't hurt. It would be great. All right? Yeah. Yeah, it is, but it is not listed. All right? It may be, a church may reasonably re- require something like that for their elders because it's a great thing, isn't it? It's, it's, going to, it's going to, in some sense, if you're careful about it, certify many of the other qualifications of elders. Right? It's kind of a shortcut in a way. We're going to look at examination of elders, though. Biblically, we as a church are responsible for examining, testing, and trying elders before they're, before their elders. So we can't say, well, he's got a degree from the master Seminary. Let's bring him in. I think biblically, you have to test and try such a man. He might have a degree, but he may not have many of the other qualifications unrelated to that. It's certainly a good idea, but you go through the list of qualifications, it doesn't say it. You have to see that, his walk. I don't know, what did I say? <laughs> we as a church, I think we, everybody who's a, who's a, I guess, part of the church family, has a responsibility to kind of certify that there is no, repro- even people outside the church might bring a reproach against a man. We we saw that last time, All right? Now, maybe it's primarily responsibility of the church elders, and we'll see this in, in examination, to, to recognize a man, to, 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 you know, to do some uh, interviewing, make sure that his theology is in order. But as far as the qualifications of eldership, we all bear some responsibility there. So we can't just say, oh, sounds like a good idea, let's let's make this man an elder." Well, to answer the question, yeah, because I probably do that, but <laughs> <laughs> but I get your point, right? Yeah, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want somebody operating. Uh, explain that to me before I take it wrong. Okay. But you're but you're saying that degree is like those certifications. Those Okay. Yes, and I would say I have to do better than that in this case. I have to not only see their state certification, I have to go flip a few switches, a lot of switches, make sure that that they really know what they're doing. I have to certify that myself. This is not something that is above the rest of us, being able to be an elder. It's not like, I have a degree in economics. So, you would probably grant that I know more about economics. I have two degrees in economics. So you'd probably grant that I know more about economics. Well, so what? All right? You can't certify, if I start talking about economics, you can't certify that I'm an idiot. Or that I know what I'm talking about. You can't. But if somebody's up here teaching you from the word, you better be able to certify that. You have to. You, have to, you know, that doesn't, doesn't sound right. You have to be able to certify the man's life. You know, I signed him beating up a guy on the corner the other day. <laughs> you know, whatever. You, you have to, that's our responsibility. So to me, it goes beyond the certification. A certification is a nice thing. It's something of a shortcut for information. Right? It tells us that Well, it's, it's pretty likely that he knows what he's talking about. But it's no substitute for examination and testing. Now, It's definitely a good thing. Does that make sense? Okay. Now somebody asked me this question afterwards, and I didn't ask them if I could share their name, so I won't. But it was a great question. Uh, somebody said, "What about an obese pastor?" And so quickly I went. Re- well, <laughs> 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 theoretically, uh <laughs> but it's a good question, isn't it? You know, what about an obese pastor? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <that's> Thanks, Lee. <laughs> you know because uh, it shows uh, a lack of really, yeah somewhat. if it that's a lack of what self control right so if we look at them and say you know that that's there's evidence there of a lack of self control that may be right right that might be something that you want to approach approach with and say you know it looks like maybe you lack self control in your in your in your diet right Maybe there is a temporary, disorder, or maybe it's something that the man has to kind of be aware of and say, "Okay, I need to. I have self-control. I just have to exercise in this area. I'll exercise it. Something like that." All right. But we can't compromise on the qualifications. So if there's something about a man that does, in fact, rise to the level of reproach, it's a disqualification. Well, there's nothing there's nothing in Scripture here that says if a man is fat he can't. But if he's if he's not self-control, and men can be men can be obese, I guess is a better way to say that, than for other reasons, you know, more or less. Maybe they they don't eat an unreasonable amount or whatever. So you have to be careful about. That. Yeah, raise your hand if you're like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I believe you. Yeah, that's for older men. <laughs> uh, yeah. I know, working with teens, the people that can eat the most are skinny little teenage girls, 12-year-old girls. They can eat you under the table. <laughs> uh, anyway, that, that's a good question because it kind of... It brings in the whole general idea of qualification. You know, if we really go through all these qualifications, I mean, I'll raise my hand on someone and say, you know, I, I just today I'm not sure that's me. Right? Or, I give you an example, because Jess isn't here. <laughs> uh, let's say somebody, let's say that Jess, let's say Mitch does, that Jess was driving 105 miles an hour on black tail rope. Okay. Now, first of all, we'll, we'll get we'll get to looking at accusations against elders in a minute. <laughs> but let's say that it's verified. It's coming from Mitch. Okay. Is he disqualified? Oh, he was he was in control. I mean, you were driving Blacktail Road. You go 105. That's good. Just pretty good control. All right. I see. You know, it's he's not he's not what? Sorry, Ron. Oh, 105, I don't want to, I don't want to, <laughs> yeah, why was he driving 105? Was Marsha bleeding in the back seat, you know, and having to get to the hospital? Yeah, when we get to accusation, but let's say that it's it's verified he was just breaking the law, he's going 105, and I use this because anybody knows, yes, that's ridiculous, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. For the recording, Rhoda said you were out of your mind. It wasn't me. Um <laughs> just for, that's for the tape. <laughs> um yeah, right. It could be, right? It, it it could be. Now, what if he's what if what's the speed limit on Blacktail 45 35? Yeah, remarker doesn't know. Okay. <laughs> what is it? 35. Let's say that you're going 45 on the 35 mile per hour speed limit road. Ooh! Now we're all going. Hmm. <laughs> right. Right. You see that it's not a hard fast thing. We have to decide what has in our minds generated a reproach. Right. What is it? Is it? He's no longer above reproach because of it. Alistair Begg, anybody listen to Alistair Begg on the radio? What a great preacher, right? He did a message on eldership and he said he had a, someone, uh, he, he told a story about he had gotten a speeding ticket, yeah, got a speeding ticket, or trying to avoid a speeding ticket because he'd been speeding. And sorry, Mitch, and he went through a way you shouldn't go and he told this story and he thought it was kind of humorous and it made a point that he was trying to make. He got a letter afterwards telling him that he was a bad pastor. And that he, for one, he shouldn't be breaking the law because that's a reproach and he shouldn't think that it's funny to break the law because that's also a reproach and it means not a serious man and all that. And he just left it open. And he didn't step down, but he just left it open. So where's a reproach? You know, it's going, 45 is not a reproach, it's 52. You see, we can get kind of, but we have to make those sorts of judgments. So. I, I wouldn't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Segal Road. Someday I'm going to do something bad on Segal Road. Theta. That seems a wise approach, doesn't it? If he's been, you know, he may not even be aware that it's offensive, that it's sin to someone, but if he's approached about it, and then still willfully continues on, then then you've got some self-willed issues. You've got. That's good. That seems wise, Carol. No want to hold someone else to a higher standard than we hold ourselves to apart from the qualification. Uh, okay, and Jess, by the way, he's never i don't he's not speeding as far as I know, just to be clear, okay
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: when you guys were well, when you guys were racing, right? Uh, okay, I said we'd go back to 1 Timothy 3 for a second, and we will. This will just be quick, because we kind of touched on this already. Uh, back to 1 Timothy 3, and this will, This is kind of good, we, if we can end with this, this will work out well with timing. 1 Timothy 3, verse 10, is what we're going to look at. Now, verse 10 is in a, a body, a little passage that goes between verses 8 and 13, and your Bible, so all Bibles have headings now. Your headings on verses 8 through 13 say something like what? Qualifications, Qualifications of deacons. I'm not jumping in to talking about deacons yet. There's one verse in there that seems to me to apply to elders and deacons. We will look at deacons, but verse 10 is that verse. These men must also first be tested. 1 Timothy 3.10. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they're beyond reproach. Now, mine says these men must also first be tested. If you have NIV, yours does not have the word "also" in it. Uh, King James, I don't believe, has the word "also" in it either. Does it? Okay. So, the contention is that that word "also" implies elders. So, both elders and deacons must be tested. Um, I, I looked at. I can't. I can't say that the word "also" belongs there. It could just mean and they must also be tested, or they must. Also be tested. It could meet either, but again, it kind of doesn't matter, does it? I mean, if, if deacons are to be tested, well, sure, elders are to be tested. It, it applies. If we've just given you this long list of qualifications, there has to be testing. We have to know that, they're, that they meet these qualifications. You can't just give you these qualifications and then you go, okay, well, never mentioned before. Sure. <laughs> yeah. How am I going to know? Are you self-willed? No. Okay. <laughs> but that's not going to really... We have to test. We have to try. Um, the word there that is translated uh, testing or proving in King James is used, again, quite often. It, it means to analyze for fitness, to, me, to make sure that it meets the, the requirements that it's going to be used for. It's used in a, a parable as trying out some new oxen. The guy gets some new oxen and he wanted to test them. Wanted to try them, try them out. You want to make sure the oxen could pull plow or whatever he's going to do with the oxen. You got to make sure that they're that they work. It's also used. It's the word that's used of examining our, ourselves before we take communion. It's the same examining, analyzing us for fitness to take the elements. So that's the idea. We're to analyze elders and also deacons, make sure that they fit, make sure that they. Are qualified. All right. so that's where this idea of okay, well, if we're going to candidate a guy who's going to come in and preach two messages, and he's got the right degrees and the right background. That's not sufficient testing, is it? Right. There has to be some understanding of the man, and there may be ways that churches do this. I, I'm not saying you can't bring a man in that way. Of course, you can go and find out what churches he's been to, and you know, do all of that that effort and research. But there has to be testing and trying. A man is not qualified until he has been tested and proven to be qualified. One thing we know that that takes his time. So if a man were to come to this church, uh, usually, uh, let's think of a young man. And he's he's coming and he says, you know, I want to be an elder someday. What would we do with this guy? Say what? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, please, let's not do that. Yeah, observe him. That's all. Yeah. What are you going to say? Well, my thought was if he feels he'd like to be an elder, then he'd be wanting to teach, wanting to do the things that an elder would often do. To be observed. Yeah, he'd want to teach, or we'd observe him in that. Yeah, it's not very far. We're going to use that. Uh, We're going to look through that passage next time. It's actually in chapter 5. Not be hasty in laying on of hands. There's, there's different, there's kind of different layers of this. The man would spend time in the body and he would teach. We would say, okay, well, you want to, you think you might want to teach. Why don't you come in and teach a junior high Sunday school lesson? See how that goes. Why don't you teach how to want a WANA council time message? Why don't you be in a WANA book leader? Let's see how you do with sharing with kids. See how you do with that. Um that's, get the teaching part of it. And, and If we get to the point where we say, you know, it looks like he is serving in the functions of an elder, we would, and all during this time also, but we would probably have some more formal time where we went through and talked with him about theology. And and I'm not just saying that we'd have to agree on the gospel. We have to agree on much more than the gospel. right? We have to agree on other aspects besides just the gospel. Of course, we have to agree on the gospel. Um, For instance, if we had an Arminian elder, I don't think, a man who wanted to be an elder who was Arminian in his theology. I don't think that would work. Okay. Oh. oh, wait a second. I'm talking wrong. Ron. Wife feeling. Okay, okay so there would be that sort of test. So maybe there's levels. But but the church is still responsible for saying, um, you know, this guy's got this issue going on. I worked with this guy and this is kind of how he is at work, or things like that. Or do you know that his wife is this or that, those sorts of things. Yeah, Doug? Probably. Many to to yeah, yeah, I think yeah, you have to you have to make sure that you do that you're giving him those opportunities that you're letting him actually kind of begin to serve in some of the functions of, of eldering if that's what he wants to do. And we have lots of opportunities. Our church I think is great. A teenage boy can serve as an LIT with smaller kids, and he can teach them the gospel. You know, he can lead music as Reese does, and uh, so he has the opportunity to lead all these kids and, and you know, kind of gets to know a little. Kids. There's a lot of things that we have that, that I, think, I think work out pretty well. Now, we're not going to just, a guy says, hey, I think I want to be an elder. Okay, why don't you preach on Sunday? You know, we're not going to give him that much responsibility until there's a time of trying and testing. Right? Okay. If he's qualified, then if he is serving the functions of an elder, we would recognize it, but you see that that's going to take some time. And was it Dorothy mentioned uh, First Timothy 5:22? We'll end with that about the laying on of hands. As we'll be in this passage, uh, chapter five, next time. And then I don't know; we might have one more week or two more weeks. We'll see how it goes beyond that. But for next week, we're going to be in this passage. It's 5:17 through 25. And the verse that kind of connects them up today is that verse 22. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. And this is the laying on of hands of recognizing a man for eldership. Or could be deacons as well. So we have to be very careful in that. Examine them. Try them. Make sure that they're fit. Does that make sense? Yeah? Drew, does that make sense to you? Figure if I got you. <laughs> All right, let's pray and we'll do something else. Father, we're again thankful for your word. Uh, we are thankful for the clarity of it. And we're thankful too that there's some things that we have to struggle through in our in our humanness. And uh, Lord, I just pray that we uh, we would rely on on your word, on the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the word that we would understand these things rightly and that we would uh, work them out practically according to your your perfect logic from your word. I pray, Lord, as we go into our worship service that we would be truly reverent and that everything that we do would be for your honor, your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church.